If you have one more night to put up with me uh, concerning um, uh, the uh, travelogue from Budapest. So uh, hopefully it won't uh, test your, your patience too far. Uh, let me explain something that I'm going to do, or what I'm, what I'm doing tonight. Um, I, th- this is not, uh, this is just to, to describe my own uh, daily routine is to daily spend some time with the Lord in, in a devotion life. And so I always got up before Susie and, and I would uh, spend time, as I do here in Memphis, but over there, I, um, you certainly wouldn't want to go outside. Uh, so there's plenty of uh, quiet time in the morning to, um, to spend with the Lord alone. And so I did and enjoyed that very much. And one of the, one of the books that was under my study while I was there, my own devotion life was, of course, the book of Psalms. I'm in the book of Psalms quite often. And there were, there were, what I try to do is I start at Genesis 1-1, I start at Psalm 1-1, and I start at Matthew 1-1, and I try to work my way through. So I'm normally in the Old Testament, I'm in the Psalms, I'm in the New Testament. That's normally how I work my, um, my devotional life. And so it was interesting that some of the truths that, that I came across or were of which God reminded me were related to other things that I was reading in the Bible. And that will become clear as, as we work through tonight. So what I want to do to, for you is mention three things that came uh, into focus once again um, in our experience there and then try to illustrate for you why they came into such focus. They're all three from the book of Psalms. And the first one uh, comes from a, a very well-known psalm and a very well-known statement in Psalm 46. Psalm 46, verse 1, is, is a, it, you've heard this before, and, and as I had, but um, the, the psalm opens up this way. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, the, the, uh, the particular point of that text that became all the more real to me is that God is our refuge. And let me tell you why it became so much more meaningful to me. One of the experiences that we spent, one of the things that we, one of the emphases, I guess you would say, of our time over there was the time that we spent uh, in, with refugees and uh, on one occasion in a refugee camp. There is a place right outside of uh, uh, Budapest called Bishki, Bishki, uh, Hungary, where there is a, a refugee camp. Uh, it was an old army base uh, of World War II that what they've done is they've, they've, they've fenced it all in. You have to have permission to get in. And refugees from all over the world. I mean, we weren't out there but one day, and we met people from nations that we really didn't know existed but had heard of them. Moldavia, uh, Cameroon. I mean, nations from all... This, this place is packed with people from all over the world fleeing their countries and looking for some kind of political and, uh, refuge and some kind of safety in the nation of Hungary. One of the questions that we asked was, why Hungary? Why would you, if you were a political refugee, why would you go to Hungary of all places? And the answer was, it was close. That is, they could get there. They couldn't get to the States. By the way, it's become very, very difficult to get in the United States. They have this lottery. I don't know if you ever heard of this. I had never heard of it, but a lottery where they pick names out of 400,000 names and you get to come But uh, to the United States. But they're also wanting to go to Canada, also wanting to go to Australia. But until they could get there, or, or hopefully get there, they, they fled to, to um, Hungary. 
Well, we went one Saturday when ice was still on the streets. We went with a, a couple by the name of Randy and Cheryl Hoke. I've never met anybody like Randy Hoke before. He's the most knowledgeable historian I had ever met. He told me things that I had never dreamed of. The whole Balkan War, the whole um, uh, bombing of Kosovo became clearer as we rode out together and he told me all about it. It was, it was fascinating. But out there at Bishki, we met people like Consuela. Consuela was from Nigeria. She was um, uh, a dear woman who they lived in these little blocks. They called them blocks because they were square. And they were old army barracks that, um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you wouldn't put your best friend in. But they lived in uh, these blocks, and there were six people assigned to each room. You were assigned to a room with people who were abject strangers. Um, you didn't know who you were going to get in a room with. Consuela, because she had been there so long, had gotten a room to, her, uh, to herself, which was unheard of. They all washed in the same bathroom, which was the next door. Actually, I think there was a kitchen in between her room and the, and the bathroom. And uh, the men and the women, who were complete strangers, all bathed in the same place. Uh, there were shower stalls with no uh, curtains on the, on, the, on the stalls. And, um, you know, of course, I wanted to know, did the men come in there and shower? And they said, well, no, they kind of, uh, they kind of honored our privacy. But she, was, she told us all kinds of stories about... Um, uh, you, did, you certainly didn't want to have any Arabs in your block because they were filthy and then told us what things they did uh, as examples of their filth, and it was indeed filth. Uh, right across the hall from her were uh, six Kenyans who were all in the same size room where Consuela had her own room. But Consuela was kind of the Christian leader of the whole camp there and was trying to put together an effort to, per, to generate some cash flow because... She was trying to keep the women out of prostitution. Because you can't get to any work in Hungary unless the government allows you. And so what is available to you? Uh, prostitution. So what she was doing is um, taking any scrap that she could possibly get a hold to, oh, of and making stuff out of it. Um, after we had met Consuela, I, no, actually, I guess we went to Consuela's block after... Um, they had this little Bible study. It really wasn't much of a Bible study, but they had gathered all of these throwaways. It was stuff, ladies and gentlemen, that you would stuff into your garbage bin. And they had them in two sacks, and they had all these, these refugees in this room, and they had a little, uh, a little lesson on being a good parent is what it was. And then they started giving away this garbage out of these two paper sacks, and they all sat around the room, and they would, they would hold up a piece of um, clothing, and, and one would say, yes, that will fit me, I'll take that. And, and it was junk, junk. I'm telling you, ladies, you wouldn't sell it in your garage sale. It wouldn't sell in your garage sale. It was junk. And primarily, those people had come, not so much to hear the study on being a good parent, but they wanted to get the stuff uh, out of the paper bags. It was... Um, it was compelling. Susie and I had stopped. We just thought, you know, wouldn't this be nice? And we stopped at the grocery store and bought two uh, bags of cookies and a large drink. And you would have thought, I mean, we gave the cookies out. And there was one couple in there. The guy was an Iraqi, and she was from Macedonia. I think that's right. Um, and they had a young son about the age of my grandson, Stan. And he sat there. And um, they just waited for the time when they started giving out the junk, the trash, 
the stuff that won't sell in your garage sale, the stuff you can't get people to take off your premises. They were not fighting over it. That's, I'm not saying that, but they were patiently waiting until that stuff was being distributed. And then they took us to her little room. Um, uh, they ate the cookies, and this little boy this little, whose daddy was an Iraqi, I sat with the Iraqi man, and I asked him, what do you think about our country, about, the, uh, about ready to blow your country into smithereens? Well, he was glad. No, he wasn't glad that we were blown up, but he was glad that somebody was going to uh, remove Saddam Hussein. Uh, he had fled because of Saddam Hussein. And, uh, but his little son, I'm telling you, absolutely broke my heart and Susie's to watch this little two-year-old boy sit in his parents' lap and, and just absolutely devour a cheap cookie that we had bought. They couldn't drink the Coke. They didn't have any cups. So uh, we, they, you know, they looked at it and like, oh, wouldn't it be great to drink it? But he didn't have anything to drink it in. So they only ate the cookies. Um, so you just got this heart for Consuela and all that she was trying to do. Uh, they had made this. What was it made that they had made? I don't know. what We bought it. And um, uh, she said, I said, how much do you want for it? And she said, well, whatever, which really was kind of. Because I didn't know, you know, first of all, I didn't know how much it was worth, but apparently I paid way more than it was worth. And I'm glad I did. In fact, if I'd known that, I'd have given her some more. Uh, in fact, everything that I had, I left there at the, at the refugee camp. Um, but I think I gave her 4,000 forints, which would have been, uh, was it that much? It would have been 20 bucks. And, um, and I think, I mean, when I, when I said, well, how does this sound? And I, and I just, whatever I had in my pocket, I gave it to her. And I mean, it was like I had, I had dropped buckets of gold on them. And she, you know, stuffed it under her mattress. And she said, we'll, we'll turn this into a profit. One of the things that we found in this refugee camp, ladies and gentlemen, is that there is a great need for female personal items. They don't give underwear to the women in the, in the refugee camps. And um, there's a, Susie had this great idea about Operation Fig Leaf. There is a ministry in the United States that provides underwear for women because in these refugee camps, they provide them food, but they don't provide personal items. And so we, I mean, Susie stayed up one night thinking, how can we match that need? And I, and I do believe that you may be hearing some more about that, trying to uh, provide some, just some underwear um, for these ladies in the refugee camp. Let me tell you about Linda. Linda was from Sierra Leone. Who could tell me where Sierra Leone was? I guessed and got it, but it's in, you know, where Africa goes like this. It's in the western part of Africa, right there at that, wherever that thing is, real close to the Ivory Coast. But anyway, uh, her brother was killed in a political intrigue, and uh, she fled. And because if you once get into the refugee camp, they won't let you out. You can't get out until they give you permission. And you've got to go through all these things. And normally, most of them don't get out and they're sent back to their countries. Um, but uh, Linda, knowing that, hid in the bushes. And the people inside the camp fed her. She stayed in the bushes for four days, I think, because she was so afraid that she was going to be picked up by the authorities and put in the refugee camp. And she didn't want to be in there because she knew ultimately she might get um, you know, backwatered in the refugee camp. And so uh, we took Linda out to lunch one day. And... Um, we took her to Burger King, and um, we sat there and listened to her story. And uh, the native tongue of Sierra Leone is English, by the way. We didn't know that. It's not, what was it called? Uh, uh, pigeon English. And um, she sat and told us our sto her story, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, after we finished, we said, well, can we take you home? And she said, well, yeah. 
uh, and so it was a pretty long drive where we took her to, to take her home. And um, um, as we're driving to her apartment, she she bursts out in this peon of praise, saying, "Woo, Lord!" She's in the front seat next to me. Woo, Lord! It's a miracle! It's a miracle! My pastor takes me home. I'm telling you, we. She considered it such a glorious privilege that her. Pa- and then we went into her house. She wanted to show us her new little apartment, and we did. And and um, and all we did is walk in and look around, and I'd put some more money out. <laughs> Whenever I had money, I you know I was usually emptying my pockets with these people, and I put some money on a counter where she couldn't see it, and and um, um. And then I think we really offended her because she wanted to feed us something. And we didn't want to eat anything. We were just wanted to see her place. Anyway, the next Sunday she comes to church and she has the money. And she says, you must have dropped this or you, you left. And we said, no, no, we wanted you to have it. Um, that was Linda. Then there was Dragon and Sueda. Dragon and Sueda were from Serbia. He was a police officer in Serbia, and when the war broke out, when the NATO started bombing uh, Kosovo and Bosnia and uh, Belgrade and all that business over there, uh, his government told him to go to the front lines and fight, and he refused. He fled. He fled to Hungary. And they had been there, I think, a year and a half or two years or something like that, and they had become Christians. This was the one Muslim that we had seen that had come to know the Lord through this church. And they were Christians before we got there. We took them out to lunch one Sunday. Gave them money too. But actually we gave them some money at lunch. Then we gave them some money later on. But uh, in the course of our 12 weeks of being there, the government refused their request to stay and sent them back. Sent them back to Serbia where he was facing imprisonment for deserting um, his army. It turned out that he didn't get sent to prison because a lot of people had done the same thing that he had done, and he avoided prison. And but they were back. They had, uh, you know, and that was when we were while we were over there. The uh, the new president of Serbia was assassinated. Do you remember that? And they moved into martial law, and they couldn't get any government office to speak to them. And um, uh, it was unbelievable. But uh, Dragon and Sueda uh, were two. She was the Muslim that was converted, I think, and a dragon, I mean, I I took a dragon to lunch. We laughed about that, but we sat at this place, tried to listen to their story, and I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, we we ate with them for about two hours, and when it was all over, we were absolutely exhausted because we were trying to listen. We wanted to listen. We wanted to hear their stories so badly, but we got about 70% of it. I mean, the language thing was just, just too difficult. To, um, to overcome. Um, but to, here's my point of all those stories. And all these people had sought refuge in Hungary. Now think about this, ladies and gentlemen. If God is our refuge, what does that make us? That means we're refugees. And I learned a lot about refugees. I learned that they were fleeing something dangerous. I learned this dragon and sweat had three boys. And I'm telling you, they sat across from us that we ate at a place called Leroy's. And um, they sat across from us and said, all we want 
all we want is a safe place to raise our voice. And I, I, we drove home exhausted and thinking, all this couple wants. Now, we want a new car, but we don't want just any car. We want a fancy, expensive car. All these people wanted was a place to raise their three boys in safety. And guess what? They couldn't get it. Hungary sent them back. They had sought refuge in Hungary, and Hungary turned on them. Ladies and gentlemen, God is our refuge. He is a very present help in time of trouble. And guess what? He never gives you back. All of those things that those refugees wanted, safety, provision, a sense of belonging, that's offered us in our relationship with the living God. We're nothing but a room full of refugees. Those people are literal refugees. They turned to Hungary and got bitten. We have turned to the living God who is our refuge. And he has never driven us out. It just, it meant a great deal to me to read that I too am a refugee. I'm nothing but a refugee. But my refuge will never turn on me. Whereas Hungary turned on these people. I'll tell you one more story about this one. Then we've got to move to point two. What I've entitled this is just Truths Revisited. The fact that God is my refuge, it became clearer to me when I saw these refugees and what they faced. I'm a refugee. That's all we are, ladies and gentlemen. We have fled a very dangerous position and found safety and provision and belonging in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's all we are. One other story, I think that's somewhat related to this. I'm not sure that it's real related, but stay with me. Back to Kiev. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I have stood in the pulpit of Grace Evangelical on a couple of three or four, five, six occasions and told you that Grace Evangelical Church is responsible for the feeding of 120 widows in Kiev, Ukraine. Have you heard me say that? I've said it with great pride. Maybe that was the problem, but I've said it with great enjoyment. That you and I, as a church, are feeding 120 widows in Kiev, Ukraine. Everything they eat comes from me and you. Aren't you glad about that? I'm real glad about that. Well, while we were there, we went to... Uh, maybe I've already told you this story, but I'm going to tell it again. Um, we went to the food distribution on a Saturday morning. Excuse me, it was a Friday morning, and it was cold. So cold. We rode the train out to this little park, and they had gotten this building... Uh, where they could distribute the food. They, um, we went out there to see the food that Gracie Van pays for. We went out there to see it distributed. And I walked in there excited. Now, in my mind's eye, now listen, when I say that Gracie Van pays for the food for 120 widows for all they eat all week, what comes into your mind's eye? What do you picture? Well, let me just see if it's something similar to what I pictured. I pictured walking in there and finding boxes or grocery bags of groceries that these ladies would, they sign their name when they get it, and they would walk out with a grocery bag full of groceries. That was my, that was my vision in my mind's eye. I walked in there, and the widows were coming. The widows were lining up. The widows were signing their names. They were getting the food that we bought. We buy. Guess how much they got, ladies and gentlemen. Guess how many items was in that basket that didn't exist. Four. 
four items. They got a length of sausage, they got some drinkable yogurt, they got a block of butter, and they got this little, uh, another dairy product. Four items. And I walked out of there with Diane. I said, Diane, surely, tell me, is that all they eat all week long? And she said, well, yeah. She said, they'll, they'll find some bread someplace. Bread is real cheap and real good in Hungary. But it's real cheap. And they'll, they'll maybe find some potatoes. And then that's it. Ladies and gentlemen, by the way, please don't, I'm not trying to produce guilt. I'm just telling you, I don't want you to feel guilty. That's not the purpose. I'm simply saying, wouldn't you like to do better? I would. I'd like to see them get eight items. <laughs> I'd like to see us do more. These are people who are looking to somebody else to be provided for. They're refugees. And uh, to think that I was over here strutting, thinking that we were giving this basket full of groceries. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, figure it out. Do you know how much 120, by the way, we get $15,000. $15,000. And we're the biggest giver that, that that ministry has, a biggest church giver. The biggest church giver in, the, in their repertoire is us. We get $15,000 a year. Divide that by 120. 120 people. You know how much that is? 125 bucks. I can't believe that. I, when I did that, when I did the division, the long division, it's kind of difficult, but when I did the division and thought, 120 bucks, 125 bucks is all they're spending to feed these people for a year? You spent that much last weekend at restaurants. I'm simply saying, ladies and gentlemen, let's do more. Let's do more. What do you say? What you're doing is great. And I, again, I, I, if you walk out of here feeling guilty, stop it. I'm not trying to produce that. I'm simply saying what I thought was, what I saw was, ah, uh, it was heart-wrenching. Yeah, we're feeding widows four items a week. Let's give them some more. What do you say? Or let's add some more widows or something. We got it. We got it. So let's, let's, let's go give it to somebody. Anyway. That was my first that was my first truth revisited. That is that God is our refuge, and if He is a refuge, then that means I'm a refugee. The second thing, um, again, it was a it was a, a, a psalm, Psalm chapter four. Um, um, there's several of these verses in the book of Psalms. I'll show you a couple. We only have time for it. Gosh, it's. I'm in Psalm four eight. It says, "I will both lie down in peace and sleep for You alone, O Lord." Make me dwell in safety. Look at chapter 62, uh, Psalm 62, verse 2. He only is my rock and my salvation, etc., etc. And then chapter 60, verse 11. Um, uh, Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Now, that was, the, that was the text that I really landed on. Give us help, O Lord, from our trouble, for the help of man is useless. It's useless. But those other verses I read to you, I, I want you to underscore the word only and alone. You only are my refuge. You only. You see, here's my point, ladies and gentlemen. God is not my helper. 
He's my only helper. The help of man is useless. There is only one help. And that's God. You know, guys, Susie told you the story about the pickpockets. That was really a, a scarring event for us. I mean, it all happened pretty quick. Uh, we had been told, watch out for the pickpockets in the train stations. You know, Europe is notorious for pickpockets in the train station. We were ready for them. What we didn't know is that the pickpockets were on the train. That's where they got us, on the train. Not a, you know, we were guarding things in the train station, you know, to look around. But, but they got us on the train. These well-groomed, kind of nice-looking people, they, they got us on the train. And I'm telling you, we were sitting ducks. All this stuff we're loading down, you know, we didn't look like a summer vacation. And, um, you know, things strapped on us, and, you know, we, we were just leaving Prague. And, and uh, I mean, they saw us coming, and they started licking their chops. They got my wife first, and then they got me. And you know what they got? Nothing. They got nothing. My billfold was in my... It's in my wallet. It's in my office. Uh, it was in my back pocket. It's in my, it was in my back pocket. There was no button on my pocket. And his, this man's hand was behind my back. And I felt it and pressed his hand against the side of the wall. I told you the story. You read the story. of, And it's the true story. I, I, I know he's an idiot, but it's a true story. I did take that car out in the snow and slid off the road into a ditch and the only clothes I had on was my, was my Nikes and a coat. I had on um, gym shorts because I had just come from work. I was out in, it must have been 90 below, um, freezing. And I'm out of the car and I'm, I'm in a ditch. Actually, I was turning over to this little viaduct over the ditch. And so half of the car was on the viaduct and the other half was in the ditch. And there I am. And I'm trying to call Susie. She's not but about 400 yards, maybe 200 yards from me. And I'm trying to call her on this little cell phone that I never figured out how to, how to work. And I couldn't even make the silly thing work to let her know I was in the ditch. So here I am trying to, what am I going to do now? And, you know, and, I'm, and I'm outside of the car and I'm thinking, this thing is so small we can pick it up. You know, I'll just kind of pick it. Well, that didn't work. And then here comes, here comes this Hungarian. He, um, he's a young guy. He was younger than I am. And... Um, he did, well, I'm gonna, I was about to say he didn't speak a word of English, but he did speak some because he said, I fix. <laughs> and I said, go get him, Bubba. <laughs> he said, I fix. And so I'm thinking, okay, the two of us, I, and I said to him, uh, uh, could we pick it up? And then I went over to the car and, he, and I said, he said, no. And so he leaves. He goes back down to his house. He brings all these two-by-fours and these big old boards. He brings me. A pair of gloves that were brand new. Brand new pair of gloves. He gives me the new pair of gloves. I didn't have any gloves. He gives me the new pair of gloves. And here's this guy. He's dressed like I'm... Well, he didn't have a tie on, but he was in slacks. He is under my car. And he's looking. He said, Mmm. I said, Don't say that! <laughs> but he's groaning and moaning. And then, and then here comes another Hungarian. He's toting his groceries, walking in the snow. They all go to the store every day. They, get, they buy bread every day. He's toting his groceries, and he looks, and he, 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 I think he's walking on by, just going to leave us there in the ditch. And he goes to his house, and he gets some more boards. And they get him under the tire, 
And then they get it up closer and closer. And then finally he said, okay, everybody. Oh, then he goes and gets his car. He has a new car. And I don't know what kind of car it was, but it was a nice car. And he puts a rope on his new car with this piece of junk. And I'm thinking, oh, no, don't let this car get damaged. Or his car. I don't care about this one. Well, I did care about this one, but I don't. I'm, I'm more. He, he takes a rope. And I think you're going to ruin your transmission. It's going to be awful. And anyway, he does this hocus pocus and I'm out and I'm driving home. I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, God is not my helper. He's my only helper. I'm, I am con those men were compelled into that ditch by the Holy Ghost of God because God is not simply my helper. He is my only helper. It was so I mean, it took about a half an hour or so, and Susie's wondering where I am, and she's seeing men walk up and down the street carrying big old two-by-fours and wondering what's going on down there, never knowing that her idiot husband is out in his gym shorts and without any gloves in the snow because his car is in the ditch. But, guys, you know, getting out of the ditch is one thing in America, you know. It's another thing in Hungary when you can't speak the language. But the idea that these Hungarians knew that this was an American idiot and um, helping me get out of there. I attribute it all to the Lord's kindness to people who didn't know any better. <laughs> that was another truth revisited. Not, not, not that God is my helper. God is my only helper. There's no other help, ladies and gentlemen. The help of man is, um, is useless. Now, you say, well, those Hungarians got you out of there. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm just saying they were compelled into that ditch, in my opinion, by the Holy Spirit of God. One other little truth revisited, and then we're finished. This is another psalm. It's in Psalm 16, and I, and I think you might know this text. I allude to it a lot, ladies and gentlemen, because the, um, the truths that are contained in it um, are just imperative that we understand and that we know. It's in Psalm 16:11 where he says, well, I'll read the whole verse. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. That's the, that's the part I want you to see. In your presence is fullness of joy. That is, in your presence is fullness of joy. Not in your presence while living in Germantown, but your presence is fullness of joy. Wherever you happen to be, it's your presence that brings joy, not that your presence is confined to Germantown. In the midst of my reading this and, and, uh, one morning, I was also reading the book of Ruth. You know the story about Ruth. I've mentioned it, but this is a different part of the story where, uh, you know, Naomi has got these two daughter-in-laws and she tells the daughter-in-laws, no, you can't come with me. Said, oh, and, and Ruth says, where thou goest, I will follow. And so Ruth comes on and then and she, uh, uh, Naomi says, well, just uh, let's see what we can work out. And she finds Boaz and she says, don't worry, this good man is going to take care of us. Never dreaming. Never dreaming. That it was going to end up in marriage for Ruth to Boaz. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, his presence and the overwhelming good news that he would marry a foreigner like me, that, ladies and gentlemen, is fullness of joy. Wherever that marriage will take me, the fact that he will marry me is fullness of joy.
It's not that He allows me to stay in one section of the world so that I can enjoy His presence. I am to celebrate His presence. Not that His presence occurs in my world of safety. Guys, being the bride of Christ means... Now think about that. Gentlemen, this is harder for you than it is for women. But being the bride of Christ means that I follow the bridegroom wherever he leads me. And my joy is in the fact that I get to stay with the bridegroom because in his presence is fullness of joy. You know, there's a statement made in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, where Jesus takes the twelve aside. In the, it, let me just read it to you. In fact, if you can find it, Mark 3, because it, it's... it's um, it's an interesting little statement. Mark 3. There's one word that I want to emphasize in it. I want you to see it. Um, Mark 3.14. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him. He uh, picked out 12 people and he gave them the privilege and the glory of simply being with him. The privilege, guys, is not where I serve, but that wherever I serve, I'll be with him. Because it's his presence that's fullness of joy. And if he's there, then joy will be there. The issue is not that I get to serve the Lord in Germantown. The issue is the overwhelming privilege of being with Him wherever that leads me. Those are three truths, ladies and gentlemen, that became not new to me. They were just revisited and forced upon me in a very dramatic way and memorable way. I hope it will be beneficial for you. Let's pray. Our Father, I do thank you for the, um, the, the, the great privilege of thinking that you would take a foreigner like Ruth, a foreigner like me, and enter into a marriage relationship such that I am considered the bride and the Savior is considered the bridegroom and I get the privilege to be in His presence. Wherever that takes me, wherever the bridegroom goes, the bride gets the privilege of following hard after Him. Knowing the privilege is not serving Him. The privilege is just being with Him. Father, You indeed have proved Yourself not to be a helper, but my only helper. And you have reminded me that all I really am is a refugee. One who has found refuge in the God who claims for himself to be the refuge of his people. As a bunch of refugees, we come to you gratefully, thanking you for providing for us, for keeping us safe and delivering us from eternal danger. 
We love you, Lord God. We are sorry we love you so little. We pray for grace that we might love you more. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and good night.